special guest today. Welcome to the Bridging. Welcome to the Bridging the Generation podcast. I'm your host, Malak Arif. Again, Bridging the Generation podcast. Uh, Bridging the new with the old, the old with the new. And today we have a very, very, very special guest. We have the original lead singer of the legendary dance band, the one and only Mr. Skip Martin. How's it going, sir? I'm great, man. I'm doing blessed. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing awesome, brother. Um, first of all, I just want to say, I can't believe I'm talking to you, brother. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe I'm talking to the legend, Mr. Martin, man, Mr. Skip Martin, brother. It's it's been an honor to 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 be able to have you bless this platform, brother. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm I'm enjoying this. No doubt. No I doubt. This time of life. Hey, Mr. Martin, I hope you have a little time because we about to go in. Let's go in. Let's we, about to, we, we about to go in. So if you got, I don't want to hold you. I know you're a busy man. It's all we about good. To go in. All right. <laughs> Let's make well, it happen. Right. Well, first off, Mr. Martin, um, how's everything going, you know, with the whole COVID and this, you know, everything that's going on is in, in the society nowadays with this whole COVID-19? How are you holding up? How are you maintaining Oh, you know, actually, you know, I maintain, I got a chance to see my family, my wife, okay. and my kids, and see people. I'm having a problem with my life. That's all right. That's and cool. I, and cool, I just, brother. you know, no, good. Had, had, had to deal with, all, you know, all of those things. Okay. And, and But there really is a silver lining to what's going on. You know, the Talk silver lining to me is, one, it gave me time to clean out my closet. Mm. It gave me time to finish up my, some children's books and some other projects that I had that I wasn't having time to do. It made me give me time to reconnect with my family um, because I've been so busy and been I've been on the road traveling since I was 15 years old. Wow. So this was the first time I ever had a wow, that's interesting. This is the first time I ever had a um, hiatus like this okay. for this period of time. I. I I never knew this, you know, at all. This is something I never had witnessed. So this is very different. Do you kind of miss uh, performing? Oh, yes, because that's part of my, my heart and my soul is to yeah. perform. Always, so, so, Mr. Martin, if you wasn't, let's just say you wasn't a musician, because, you know, I did, my, I did my research. I did my, my, my due diligence as far as, uh -huh. you know, knowing, knowing, knowing who Mr. Martin is as much as is available um, what would you be doing if you wasn't doing music? What What is some of your interests outside of music? Oh, I would have probably been an outdoorsman guide. I'd okay. have been probably like Daniel Boone. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a country boy. I ride horses. I go fishing. I go hunting. Okay. I, I go skeet shooting. I go trap shooting. I, I I drive boats and go skiing. And you know, I'm an active outdoors type of individual. Now, I've been doing something in that aspect, or I would have probably been a teacher. Okay. You know. Yeah, I just saw you recently, you know, going around to the schools. Uh, I want to talk about that later as far as, you know, what you've been doing uh, as far as, you know, uh, within our uh, community and, you know, your book. And we're going we to get into all of that. We're going to get into all of that. But what I want to do, Mr. Martin, what I want to do, I want to start from the beginning. Okay. I want to talk about how it all started, you know. Okay. And... You know, I 
when I think of the Daz Band and I think of Cool in the Game and I think of, you know, your solo career, it I, I always, I, I look at you as one of those artists that had one of the most illustrious careers as far as longevity. Mm -hmm. But Good fortunate. <laughs> yeah, very fortunate, very fortunate. But I always wanted to know how did Skip Martin become Skip Martin? So where exactly are you from? Where, you, where, where are you originally from? I'm originally from Sacramento, California. Sacramento? I was, I was born in San Francisco. I'm from the Bay Area. Okay. And, um, you know, like a lot of people that chase their dreams, they say, go west, young man. Well, <laughs> I was already in the west. So for me to chase my dreams, I went east. And um, that's how I got on the road to get to Ohio and get to all of these people. Okay. And um, I share things with people in seminars. I had to pick him up because he was starting to cry. And he's going to be fine while I'm doing this. Brother, right, so, you, are, you are fine. You are fine. So uh, uh, I had to chase my dreams. You know, I use, I tell people when I'm doing seminars, there's three C's to, three C words mm. that are intricate to success okay. at anything. And the first C word is you have to have courage. Mm. You have to have courage to go outside of your comfort zone and go to a place that's less convenient and less familiar to make your way. And that's the first thing that I did. I left the comfortability of being home and the home star and everybody knew who I was and all that stuff. Hey, it's good, hey, it's good. To a place that didn't nobody know me from Jack. All right. And where I had to learn that certain ways of communication were terms of endearment, like the word mm -hmm. motherfucker. Hey, motherfucker, come in. <laughs> oh, I was fighting for the first month I got to Ohio because mm. I'm like, what you call me? I'm not realizing that that was a term of endearment. Yeah. yeah. And it was a different culture and different society. So that's part of those things that go along with courage. Mm. Then the second thing, second C word, I would have to say, is you have to have the vision to collaborate with somebody else that has something that you don't have that's special because there's power in numbers. Then the third thing you have to be able to collaborate and have courage even to say it. And that mm -hmm. is you have to have a relationship with Christ. Amen. These are three things that three C words that will grant you a response, a reward of success. However, keep it in mind that success is a double-edged sword. The people closest to you pay the biggest price for your success. Now, what do you mean by that? Break that down to me, sir. Okay, so, so you have some kids right now. Now you become the number one disc jockey in the nation, in the world for a week. Mm. How many places around the world are going to ask for your time? A lot. How much time is my family going to get? I'm going to be honest. I'm going through that right now as we speak. And I'm not even, I'm not even big time. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. When you're successful, you're, you're the people closest to you pay the biggest price for your success. That's what I'm talking about. The more successful you become at anything, yeah, the less they get to see you. Right, right. And that's just how it goes. Okay, okay. Wow, that's 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 very um, you know, that's very profound. You know, a lot of people don't we look at, you know, you guys and all the contributions that you have, you know, all the things that you have contributed to the uh, music industry. But we forget about the sacrifices that you guys had to make to give us this great music throughout the years. You, you guys write about love and heartbreak and, 
just all you know all types of you know different um you know a lot a lot of different things and you know that's one of the yeah. things that we, we we forget about as 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 fans so it's it's very yeah. um you know it's very interesting anything. hearing an artist talk about that yeah anything that anything great takes a sacrifice yeah anything great you know takes a sacrifice okay this goes all the way back to god and jesus this goes all the way back to you know as recently as people like martin luther king right people like muhammad ali mm -hmm. you know but but success is on the other side of fear mm. because fear is what stops us a lot of time from being successful at anything okay it also fear is something that makes you fight and scrap out of a yeah. tough situation you know so a spirit fear is a necessity to obtaining success because you either have it to to overcome right and then once you can overcome things at the other side of fear that's what make victory taste so sweet <laughs> and you definitely taste a lot of victories uh, you <laughs> well, definitely I had a lot i had a lot more failures you know every time you every time you pick up a horn and try to play and you mess it up yeah every time you mess it up is a failure ah. after 50 years of doing it now it's a way of speaking but i, I never looked at it that way through, i got came through a lot of failures to get to that well look mr mark we we we, we um that you made a very interesting point and again, I want to, you know, I see you picking up that, I, I see you picking up that horn, you know, I want to talk about like your earliest, what was, you know, growing up in, I believe you said Sacramento, uh, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, when we think of uh, Sacramento, the Bay Area, we think of uh, Tower Power, we think of, you know, um, right. uh, you know, um, Santana, you mm -hmm. know, Sly and the Family Stone. Mm -hmm. What were some of your musical influences growing up in the Bay Area? Those that you just mentioned, Tower Power, Santana, Malo, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Wow. You know, um, Lenny Williams, what he was doing with Tower Power. We had a band yeah. that sounded like Tower Power. We were called East Wind Band. That was my okay. first band where I started playing music at 15 as a professional. Okay. And I was, uh, you know, the trumpet player. And I wasn't, my, my trumpets were taught me how to sing. I already had the chops knowing some about singing because singing was in my family, but I wasn't in a band or anything to do that. I was in yeah. a band playing my trumpet. And that's okay. what started me off, taught me how to, thank you, I'm so glad, taught me how to, to, you know, play music and sing music and be related to that type of thing. So, um, yes, be, being in a, where would you asking me, man? I got lost because I would tell no, you. No, I would just ask you. So you, you pretty much answered that. I asked you like some of your earliest, uh, you know, musical influences. Yeah, yeah, it was Tower Power and Santana and Malo and you know Lenny Williams and, and okay. Donny Hathaway and yeah. you know I was listening to different people like Natalie Nat King Cole and yeah. and uh, um, Stevie Wonder. 
and Aretha Franklin right. and Donny Hathaway. Those were the four people I kind of cloned certain characteristics for my singing. Okay. And what was it like growing up in the Bay Area? Like, you know, we're talking about the, you know, the 1960s. What, you know, what was that experience like? Because, you know, a lot of times we look at, um, you know, we, we look at what's going on today and we forget how things used to be. So what were some of the, what were some of the challenges that a young African-American brother like yourself uh, faced, you know, growing, growing up in the Bay Area, you know, during the, yeah. uh, you know. We all like, had to face, we all had to face uh, the obstacles of our blackness. Um, but the West Coast was more a liberal scenario. The West Coast is where more people would get up of all different colors, just like they do now for George Floyd. Um, they would protest different things to bring changes. And that's where you start seeing people of all different colors coming together, like around the times of Martin Luther King and right. We Shall Overcome and, and all of that stuff. Something that was very poignant that one of the pastors had mentioned to me, and I listened to uh, gospel, I listened to the TVN, and certain things I get education on and certain things from great people, great orators, and from Martin Luther King to one of our most famous orators, going to be one of our most famous orators is Barack Obama. I mean, just bar none, is nobody speaks like this guy. Oh yeah. And um, so back in those days, uh, it was, you still had the struggles with the black person and being a black person, but I had a different kind of way of dealing with that. Mm. My music was something that gave me a camouflage. Okay. So they would, my talent, what have you, would supersede my color. Mm. Because it was, it was making people like, hey, that, that boy can play that trumpet. <laughs> okay. It didn't matter. Not, not that black boy can play or that white yeah. boy can play. That boy can play that trumpet. Right, right. Okay, so it kind of changed something in that. Oh, he can sound pretty good. That boy can sing, you know. And um, and so that's that helped me to do things. But <clears throat> coming from a kind of a very pro-change and pro-black and pro-education family. Okay. Um, and pro-faith, because my grandfather was a bishop, my Mother and fathers were educators. My father was an English professor. He taught, he, you know, did black studies, what have you. We marched with Angela Davis. We had Angela Davis in our house. Wow. And and, and Black Panthers and all that stuff back in the time. We shall overcome. And something was so poignant that T.D. Jake says, he says, in order to instill change, uh, for, for oppressed people to experience change, they have to have the people that oppress them co-sign it mm. so the example being when they were doing we shall overcome one day martin was shot but because of what happened to him as a martyr in that scenario right here comes lyndon b johnson speaking in front of all congress and the rest of the world talking about we got to change this because we shall overcome right there was the co-signing to the oppressed desires mm. Now, all these years later, I think we have another shot at that scenario. You think so? You have Biden and you have Kamala Harris. Yeah. yeah. It's a co-signing of what their press are dealing with and they're walking hand in hand. Okay. That's a good sign. Okay. That's a good sign. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I hope everything. Yeah. I hope. I no. hope. I hope. We'll it goes. So now that's that, where, that's, that's wait a minute. That's where I try to instill things people with people. Okay. 
um, hope for th better things to come. But what I, I try to do is I try to instill the intention or the idea that believe first, right. make hope a foundation to fall back on that caused your belief. You know, you, a thought, once you catch a thought about something, it turns into a feeling. And that thought can either be a good feeling or a bad feeling. You have a choice on which side you want to pick. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so if you start with a thought, I, I believe this is going to be all right. And then I start feeling things to make it be that way. Right. You know, versus, well, I hope they're going, I hope it's going, that means yeah. you're leaving it for something else to be. Right, right. But if you manifest that intention, then it will be because your intentions is felt more than your hope is. It's, it's almost like the energy that you put out is yes. the energy that you, that you're going to receive. So, right. you know, if you think if you, if you, um, you know, you, you put out positive energy, positive vibes, you know, that's what you should, you should, you should come to expect is being optimistic. Mm -hmm. Yes. And also, and also understanding that there is no growth in a comfort zone, dude. Yeah. Growth does not occur or exist in a comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's part of what our country is going through right now. I think we are going right. through a growing phase and it's okay. going to hurt. Mm. It's going to be a bit painful. But on this other side of this pain is a victory. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. the other side of that. And then that's what's going to make the victory just delicious. Okay. You know. I hear you, brother. I hear you. But look, I want to I, I wanna go back because you, you mentioned, you know, you playing the trumpet as a kid. And I'm listening to everything that you're saying. What you're saying is very profound, very thought provoking. And I, I admire that. And I want to I want to touch on what you're just talking about in a little bit. Um. At 15, I read that you won, uh, you know, outstanding, outstanding trumpet uh, soloist at the Monterey Jazz Festival. Now, what yes. led to, you know, what what was, you know, that experience like? Well, it was a blessing. First off, um, I was gifted with something that I didn't know was a gift. Um, uh, when I when I started playing the trumpet, um, as boys do, they take their things apart and they put it back together. So I took my trumpet apart, put it back together. When I put it back together, I put the valves in incorrectly. So when I played it, it sounded like a kazoo. It was terrible. This is a hard instrument. Hold, hold on, Mr. Martin. Before you go any further, I want to know what made you pick up the trumpet. Before, don't please don't forget, don't forget your thought. You're trying to okay. your, your thoughts. What so you're saying. What made me what made me pick up the trumpet was trying to find the easy way out. I, when I went to music orientation class at about sixth grade, okay, I was 12, 13. Oh, no, yeah, about that, yeah. And, um, you know, I was like, well, I'm looking at all the instruments. First, they brought the trombone. The trombone had a big mouthpiece and a long bell. And I was like, that mouthpiece is too big. I'll never be able to play that. Then they brought in the saxophone. Saxophone was really like a sexy S or a six or something. Had all these buttons up and down. And it was shiny and everything. Yeah. I looked at all those buttons. I said, there's too many buttons on that. I'll never be able to play that. And then they brought the trumpet in. It had a small mouthpiece and three buttons. I said, that's a piece of cake. I'm going to learn that. Okay. And that's what made me choose trumpet. Okay. That's an interesting story. I, I watched <laughs> a couple of interviews 
And I never heard nobody ask you what made you pick up, you know, what what made you pick up the trumpet. I, ne- I never heard anybody ask you that. Yeah, that's what made me pick up the trumpet. And I, uh, my destiny about where I was going was set for me at seven years of age. Well, I'm riding in a Dodge Rambler with my grandmother and grandfather. And um, we were going somewhere. And that King Cole had just passed away. Mm. And I heard, unforgettable, that's what you are. This is 1965. No, this is yep, somewhere in there. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I was seven. And my my uh, grandmother said to me, I said to my grandmother, it sounded like he was in the car with us. And I said to my grandfather, Nana, that's what I'm going to do. And she said, what, baby? I said, I'm going to play music so that when I die, I can leave music here and people can feel that I'm still in the car with them like I do today. And that's that's where I claimed it. The rest of it was just a story that went along the way after I claimed it. Mm. So then I, so I started learning trumpet and I became very good at it very quickly because when I put it back together after taking it apart, I was hearing notes and mimicking what the notes were to try to make them sound like everybody else's, even though my horn was dysfunctional at that time. Right. <laughs> and I was trying to make it work. And then one day my teacher heard me and she's like, man, what's wrong with Bring your trumpet up here. And I was, and everybody was, you know, I was like, so he brought it. He said, Let me see your trumpet. And he took the vowels out, put them back in correct. When he put them back in correct, I had the biggest sound in the class. Because I had been working on making sound right when it was dysfunctional. Right. But there was a gift that I didn't know that I had. And what was that? I have a like a um, audio photographic memory, meaning mm. when I hear, I never forget. So when I could hear the kids, how they're playing the scales and they're messing through it, I mean, don't you hear that? It's like this. Right. You hear that? And they had to read it every time. I was just hearing it and playing it, which actually gave me a handicap in some ways. The handicap what do you mean by that? The handicap is I don't physically read music. I just hear it, and then it never leaves me. And then when I hear whatever I hear, I, so you I, never I, learn to read music. Never learned to read it. I know the notes. I know my notes are on the horn. I know this, but the rhythms of what was written and the rhythms of it, and the time right. this one is that long, and this, right. I never did read. Known that because before I even learned that, <clears throat> I was playing phrases. Before I learned what the value of each note and how to play it and read it and right. translate that, I was playing lines from what I heard. Yeah. Whenever I heard Stephen Winter, or I heard Miles Davis, or I heard Art Farmer, or I heard Blue Mitchell, or I heard uh, Nancy Wilson, or I heard Aretha Franklin, or I heard Stevie Wonder, or Luther Vandross, or or, or Donny Hathaway, or Joe Louis, uh, uh, Joe Joe was uh, Joe, our, our jazz singer. Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I would hear those things, and then it would never leave me. Okay. So I mean, I can still go back to the first. Uh, 
trumpet things that I was learning when I was in junior high school. Trump now, what, what, were you, what were you, you were more into jazz or R&B? At that you time, know, what was, what was, at it, that what was time, the, the first love? Well, keep in mind, at that time, there was an R&B. It was pop music, yeah. You know, there was jazz and there was popular music. Yeah, I forgot about that. There wasn't any really labeling for R&B and hip hop hadn't been born right. yet. And, and yeah. you know, uh, smooth jazz had been born. These are all that. evolutions from jazz yeah. and dance music. You know, funk was had been around for a while, but that was a dance music of jazz. And so that's what the, the Daz band, that's why we call it the Daz band, which is, means danceable jazz. Okay. That's the word, so, that's so, where that came from. So, okay, so you started playing the trumpet at a very young age, mm -hmm. but you're also this very, very distinctive, tremendous vocalist. When did you realize like, man, not only am I gifted at, you know, I can do this as far as playing the trumpet, but uh, this singing thing can also take me places as well. When did you? When, when did the singing bug get you? You know, hit about fifteen. About fifteen when I was started playing in my first band, and I think the first song I ever sang was "Oh Zoom, I Like to Fly Away." Zoom, 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 zoom. You know, that was the first song I ever sang. The next song I sang after that was. Uh, uh, we lost in a masquerade. And George Benson. I ever learned, you know, from, uh, from George Benson. Yeah. And um, that's where I started learning from singing the singer sing right. in this Tower Power stuff. That's where I started learning how to sing. Who were your favorite vocalists? You know, who, who, were, who were some of your favorite vocalists? You know, some of the guys that influenced you as far as, you know, being, you know, being a vocalist. Um, before I previously mentioned the... Uh, Aretha Franklin for her soul lick, Stevie Wonder for the way that he clutches, Donny Hathaway for the vibrato and the smoothness in his voice, mm. Matt King Cole for his articulation. Mm. And, and, uh, and uh, yeah, those were kind of Art Farmer for the kind of choices and notes that he would take, and Miles Davis for the amount of space that he would play in between everything. So there were certain things that I got from each one of those people, and that's who I, that's who I am, collected. Okay, okay. So okay, so now we're talking. You know, you're you're getting to your 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 later teens, man. What was going on? You know, in around that time, as far as um, your musical career, what were your aspirations? You know, as we get it, as we're getting into being becoming a, an adult. Um. Well, the the challenges of going to places that were less convenient. That using that courage, because that's where once my band. Uh, disassemble, which I had been playing from the time I was 15 to 19. And when all of a sudden they disassembled because most of the guys were older than I was. Okay. Everybody was older than I was. And they used to come and pick me up to take me to go play on those gigs because I couldn't drive. Right. And um, so when they dis disbanded for a bit, then I was left with a void in my heart and soul. I'm like, no, wait a minute. I want to do this. They quit, but I don't want to quit. So I got to go to where I can find an opportunity to get to where I want to go because it's in me. I want to go do this. Right. And I went to the Bay Area from Sacramento, which was an hour away, where there was a lot more people and bigger bands and this and that. And I got into five or six bands in three months' time. Every time I got into a band and sang a battle of the bands on the weekend, I'd see another band was better, and I'd go crack on them, and they take me. And I'd go to the next band, and I'd go to the next band, I'd go to the next band, until I finally ran into a band 
called Mighty Generation from Youngstown, Ohio. And Mighty Generation was, they were on the road. That's what I want to do. I want to go on the road and play my music. Right. right. They were on the road. Now, this was the Chitlin Circuit. The definition of the chicken, Chitlin Circuit at that time meant we made $20 a man per, per man a night. And 10 of those dollars went to the community bag of weed. And that's how we were living. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> we 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 were wearing hot pants with leggings from the knee down. <laughs> we were playing Parliament Funkadelic George Clinton swing yeah. down the cherry stop yeah. let me ride. And we were doing all of those songs, Aqua Boogie Baby, you know, you know, Motor Booty Affair and yeah. Knee Deep and and you know all of that stuff, you know. Um so that's what we were doing. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'm like, how are we going to live? How are we going to survive? Oh, yeah, it's $20 a day. I'm going to make $20. What are we going to do with $20? You know, $10. Okay, $10. What are we going to do with $10? Because, you know, community back. Now, we, you split now hold on. Hold, hold on, Mr. Uh, Mr. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to you telling me about, man, a bunch of guys only making $20. Like, but also, you were you said Chitlin Circuit. Now, a lot of people don't know that Chitlin Circuit really consisted of a lot of the black clubs all over the United States, so mainly the South, the East Coast and the South. Right. So, right. But, how did you guys travel and manage to like be able to travel throughout the states and only making that type? Like, what was that like? Well, we weren't always in the states because we would we would travel. We go to Canada and we play for the Indians in the winter time. Wow. When it was cold as it wanted to be in the wintertime, we ain't no brother supposed to be up there in that snow anyway. But we were up there playing because nobody could compete with us. And we could go in there and play funk with our hot pants and, and leggings from the knee down, half dressed, <laughs> and playing all of this stuff. And the girls loved us. So we went to all these different clubs and played all across Canada. As a matter of fact, I wrote a book called uh, Fables of a Paid Piper. And there's a story in there okay. called uh, In Plain Sight. Because as we were coming into Canada to start working, they horned me, sent me from Sacramento, uh, from San Jose to Phoenix, Arizona, where I joined okay. the band there. Actually, after they told me they wanted me to be in the band, I wanted to be in the band. So I had to settle some of my affairs and get rid of my cars and pack up clothes and prepare to go on the road. So they took me in. Hold on, hold on. You said cars. Cars? You had cars? I had, I had a car because um, I left home. And okay. I was, you know, 19, I left home and I had a car. No, and you didn't have a family at this time. No, I didn't have a family. I was only 19. Okay. And I left my girlfriend, who was my childhood sweetheart. And I told her, I said, look, baby, I do love you. And I had her come visit me and before I left to go on the road. Yeah. I said, I love you. And, you know, uh, I, I was your first. And you weren't my, weren't my first, but I was your first. And I value that. And we've been starting out, you know, our lives and all of this. But really, I'm the only man that you've ever known. So how are you going to know that you really want me if you don't live some life? And I have to go out here and chase my dreams and what have you. I'm not going to put a limitation on it, but this is what I'm going to do. When I decide that I want to get married, I'll call you. And if you still want to get married to me, then we can get married. And that's what I did. So I went on and did my life. She did her life. And uh, I went on the road. So these guys horned me and took me into Canada. And as we got into this, we were eight brothers, one, one, one white boy named Blue, our sound man. So this story is called In Plain Sight. And as I got to, as we got to the border in Vancouver, in Washington, and in, yeah, in Washington, going into Canada, 
the custom officer sees us all in this van. He said, you guys a band? We said, yes, sir. He said, what kind of band are you? He said, well, we play Parliament Funkadelic. We're a punk band. You know, he goes, flashlight, dun, 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 flashlight. He says, yeah, I know that band. He goes, you want to get out of the van? We want to check your van out. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And we're like, oh, shoot. So he comes in. He looks in the van. He doesn't see any paraphernalia, no pipes, no seeds, no smoke, no nothing in there. But he does a slight, slight smell or what have you. So he says, hey, Greg, go get Daisy. Now, Daisy's the one-and-a-half-year-old beige cocker spaniel drug dog. They bring Daisy, and Daisy jumps up in the van and says, go find it. And she just, oh, oh, oh. She just barks, oh, 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 oh. just alarming. <laughs> she finds no seeds, no pipes, no roaches, no nothing of that nature. And it seemed like forever. It's almost 12 noon in the daytime. We sit down in broad daylight. Yeah. And then the guy comes back, and we look back in the van after it seems like an eternity, and it looks like Daisy got a contact high because she was on her back playing with a <laughs> <laughs> She's just playing. The guy was so pissed off. He's oh, like, oh, come on out of there, Daisy. Okay, you guys can go. You guys can go on your way. Just go on your way. Come out of there, Daisy. And he took the dog and we loaded back up in the van. I got into the shotgun seat. The culprit, he was driving. And we drove about 10 clicks down the road. And I said, Clarence, who got the bag of weed? He said, I got it. <laughs> I said, how you have it? He said, I put that motherfucker on the top of the van in plain sight. But that motherfucking dog gonna lose a motherfucking mind. I know that's right. <laughs> and we rolled up into Canada with the longest belief. Man. And laughed our butts off. And the moral to that story is if you gotta hide, sometimes it's best to hide in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the stories in my fables of a paid pirate audio book. But okay. that's a true story how that happened. And we would just go through all of Canada and what have you and playing and in the winter time, but I did that for about three years with those guys. Now look, now I want, I want, I want to stop you for a second, Mr. Martin, because at this time, you know, you with the, with the, um, you with the, the, the mighty generation, man. Now, you said you played with a, 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 a bunch of bands, uh, you know, earlier. Now, were you always the lead singer and, and uh, you know, the trumpeter, you know, trumpeter, and and yes. all these bands? Yes. That was wow. And all these bands. And, uh, <laughs> you were always the lead singer. Well, I mean, when I first started out, I wasn't a lead singer until I learned that I could sing. Then I became more singing lead because we already had a lead singer in the band, in the first band. I was just playing trumpet, and I those two songs I was telling you about, Zoom yeah. and, and Masquerade, yeah, that's yeah. when I launched, started starting to sing, right. starting to build up a singing repertoire. And... Uh, but that you mastered these. That you, you know, that you mastered. Let's let's say let's let's put that out there, brother. You mastered that. Oh, thank you. I know you. And this is what I want to I want to ask you, Mr. Martin. What do you like doing? What do you like more? You like singing more, or do you like playing the trumpet more? Mm. I think my my initial motivation was I like them both equally, but for different things. And basically, I'm a trumpet player that sings through my trumpet. I'm not like a technician, like Arturo Sandoval, one of the greatest in the world, what have you, but I sing through my trumpet. That's my style. Okay. And uh, with the space and everything. I like both of them, but I think I like singing more because I'm putting that sound through my trumpet. Okay. But it's just my trumpet helped me to get the intervals and all the other things, you know, the musical expression and phrasings and what have you from playing the trumpet? 
Okay. Uh, I think I like them both. Awesome, awesome. So, so look, I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. You know, it's um, I believe 1976, 1977. Um, the Daz Band at the at the time they're known as Kinsman Daz, I believe. Right. We were signed on 20th Century Fox. You the guys same thing happened to me. I was with that group Mighty Generation and played a concert with Kinsman Daz. And the Kinsman Daz looked like I heard their sound and I heard something they had on the radio and my might as well to get out of you. You know, and that was Kenny Perry singing that song. And uh, and uh, and I heard that on the radio. I'm like, these guys are killing. Never yeah. thought I would meet them. And then we here we are in a concert together, and Mighty Generations opening up for Kinsman Dad. And Kinsman Dad was looked like they were still a little bit disoriented, just fragmented. What do you and mean? I was by ready to, I was. They weren't uh, full. I mean, something was missing. You know, they had a certain sound, but something was missing. And so I did what I'd always been doing. I went from the band that I was in and went and cracked on them. And then they brought me into the Kinsman Dads. <laughs> and I told the leader, I mean, I didn't want to infringe on the guy that was singing lead vocals, which was Kenny Pettis. So, yeah, Kenny Pettis. I, just, so I just said, hey, look, if you guys looking for a trumpet player, I was, I think I was 20. You guys looking for a trumpet player? I'm your man. And the guys 30, uh, were 12, 14 years older than I was, just look at me and they like, okay, let's give this kid a shot. And then everybody started talking about me yeah. to them. And one thing led to another, and I got an opportunity, and they came and picked me up and took me to Cleveland. That's when I started uh, playing and singing with Kinsman Daz. But we shortly changed. I mean, I hadn't been there for a year, and we changed the name from Kinsman Daz to the Daz Band. Okay, so let me let me stop you right there. Now, I read that um, around that time that Kinsman Daz were in Los Angeles, and they were working on an album with Marvin Gaye. Now, were you ever a part of that? They were going to work on an album with Marvin Gaye as a producer, but now, Marvin got sick. Mark Marvin got sick, and he couldn't do the project. Martin had uh, Marvin had some issues at that time, and that kept him from being responsible and being around and being a part of these different projects. Okay. So we were then picked. The band was then picked up as a producer by Philip Bailey, and so that's why. The Kinsman Down Dad sounded so much like Earth, Earth, Earth Wind and Fire. Philip <laughs> Bailey produced it. Yeah, yeah. And that's how they got the first two um, albums. After that, um, we had different producers. We had a guy named Reggie Andrews out of Juan High School, out of Los Angeles, who produced Patrice yeah. Williams in a group called uh, uh, I'm having a brain fart right now, but he had been in a group that was kind of a jazzy group that was killing it. And he was he was also an educator and teach taught in high school and what have you. And him and a guy named Ndugu Chancellor. Ndugu He's Chancellor a, was a drummer. Yeah, drummer. yeah. You know, we just lost him recently. Oh no, no, oh, no. Yeah, we lost Ndugu. He just he passed away. Yeah, yeah, we lost him. And uh but he and 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 uh Reggie Andrews are the ones who mostly Reggie produced us. And they're the ones that wrote the song Let It Whip. Okay. Now, when you now when you joined the band, a couple of members left the band. Now, was why, why did a couple of members, you know, uh, leave the band? You know, now, you know, around the time that you joined, because I believe you when you joined, um, uh, Kevin Kendricks joined, 
And I believe somebody else, I, I don't remember somebody, but I know you, you know, you and Kevin came in at around the same time. Yeah, but you came in and Marlon McLean came in. We let go of uh, Michael Calhoun and there was somebody else that was there. Now, what was that? What, what, was the whole, what, was, what was the whole deal with that? You know, uh, I, I, well, that left, that happened before I, you know, got involved, what have you. I didn't see some of those people, but it just, what happens is, just the the cream rises over time. The cream just rises. Whatever it is, I like how you put that. That's just hey, that's facts. You can't. I mean, ain't really nothing else that you can really. That's that's. Right. What else could you say? You don't have to downcast so, so, anybody else or anything. It's just yeah. stuff rises. So look. So now we're going into. You know, we're going into you know 1979, 1980. Mm -hmm. um, you guys release. You guys are signed to Motown. So what led to look to, to, to being side, signed to Motown and who who from Motown discovered you guys? Nobody from Motown discovered us. There was a guy named Joe Simone, which who was our manager. Joe Simone was the head or the president of um, uh, Northern One Stop Record Company. Northern okay. One Stop, they were the people that made, they warehoused records to give to to distribute to to tower and to mom and pop stores and this and that it was a warehouse place that warehoused records he okay. was the manager of that and because he had all and he also worked with some with the mafia and so he had all these different connections to different people and what have you but he's in this record business had a band he rehearsed us he paid us for a year a regular salary like we were working a nine to five job right Come in at nine o'clock in the morning, start practicing and playing. Have lunch at twelve thirty, come back at one thirty, play till five thirty. And we did this for a year, practicing and honing our crafts and honing our shows. Okay. And um, before we even had a hit record. Then we ended up having a hit record, but we were the best dressed, tightest band that was out there. Everybody was looking out for us because it was like them jokers gonna come in here and be blowing it down, which we did. Yeah. We were tight. We had clothes on, you know, suits. It was the first time to see a band, everybody with instruments in suits, like the Temptations. Now, whose idea was that? Whose idea was That's one of the things that really stood out about the dance band. Like, you guys, you would see, you know, you singing, like, everybody was just clean, man, dressed, mm -hmm. to, what you guys would say, dressed to the nines. Right, right. You know? yeah. We did that, and then he was the guy that would give us a suggestion. He says, okay, when you guys go up there, I want the chicks for the first 20 rows to smell you. So when you go out there, douse yourself with cologne before you even get to the stage. <laughs> so we'd be on stage dancing and moving, and the chicks all the way, half the way in the audience, he turn around like, girl, you smell that? <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. <laughs> Wow, man! I never heard nothing like that, brother. Oh my <laughs> goodness! Yep, he had a yeah, I mean, smelling good. So, 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 Mr. Martin, when he presented that idea to you guys, like, was there ever like any pushback? Like, man, because no. you know, at that time, we just you got you got uh, LTD, you got um, oh, higher players, you got all Commodores, Confunction, all these great bands, and nobody, nobody was dressing like you guys. Nobody. No, we so, just. You guys being some young brothers, man, like, you know, you got, how, how receptive were you to that? One second, one second. Oh, go sit. Take your time. 
Okay, I had to move back because he's going to start oh, crying. Good. Won't let me do my interview. Okay, all right. So say that again. How when? How receptive? How you know? When I think of a lot of the, you know, we're talking about 1979-1980, and you know, when you think about a lot of the bands at that time, we're talking about the Commodores, Confunction, uh, Lakeside, a lot of you know, no, the Barcades, all these all these great bands, but no one dressed like you know, none of the bands had the image that you had. So my question is, was there any pushback from any of the members yourself or, no, you know? No, we would see guys like to dress and, you know, this is Cleveland and, and, uh, you know, we came from that. We just went, we went for it. You know, we went with it. We were being supported, sponsored. We could go there and practice and do this stuff on a daily gig, you know, and, the dress and everything that came along with it. We made up the dance steps as we went. Yeah. Matter of fact, we made up that dance step for Let It Whip when we were on Soul Train in the dressing room. Wow. We didn't know what we were going to do. So we just made it up in the dressing room and came out and they executed it. That's amazing. You know, so, I mean, that was part of uh, what was going on. And we were blessed because we got a chance to do that for, you know, so many years. I was on tw a Soul Train 12 times. So look, let's hold up. If we getting a little ahead of ourselves, let's go back a little bit. Cause I want we here we are. It's 1980. You guys signed with Motown. Now, how did you guys sign with Motown? Like, what well, was the we didn't get we didn't get in through somebody just because Joe Simone, our manager, the head of Northern One Stop, who was sending all these records to all the places that Motown's artists were sending their stuff. So we already had the end. So he's like, I got this group and I'm the distributor and so forth and so on. So we're going to make this thing happen. So basically, he was signed to Motown and he signed us to him. Wow. Because when I look, you know, when I look at, you know, your, first, your very first album, Invitation to Love, which I want to I want to get into, you know, that's that's wow. That album is amazing. And, um, you know, when I look at when I when I hear that album, you know, when did you guys decide to shift to the type of music that you guys displayed on Invitation to Love? Because there was clear there's a clear distinction from you know the music Kinsman that Daz to that excuse me from kinsman daz to that there's a clear distinction from kinsman daz to the daz band on invitation to love so what what led to you guys you know changing you know the sound up a little bit it was just the evolution uh how i had kind of evolved into that place of singing my manager Joe Simone said to the guys and said to me, he said, well, I want you to be our lead vocalist and there's something about your sound. So we're going to, you know, work that out and, you know, around it. So uh, that just gave me the opportunity to shine. And um, I was growing. I didn't know I was open. You know, there was no no in me, you know, uh, like today. I'm still not taking no for an answer. Right. So, <laughs> um, you know. I'll shift that title around. track, man. I, I love, I love, I love that title track, man. You know the uh, and, and hello, girl. Like you guys came out that you know when I think of you guys, you know when people, a lot of people think of the dance, man. They think of like the you know the up tempo hits. Mm -hmm. But I'm gonna be honest, when I think of the dance band, I think of the ballads, man. We had and, some great, we had great ballads. Talk and, about invitation to love a little bit, man, because I want to get invitation to love. Invitation to love was a great song. Uh, you know, I loved it. It was, I had been working a lot at that time. And um, and my voice was, I was abusing it because I'm young, I had energy and I was staying up all night and all day and doing stuff and smoking weed and doing all of these things. So my voice was a little ragged at that time. Okay. 
So that's why I had kind of a horse come take my hand, kind of that kind of sound in it because I was a bit hoarse because we had been practicing and rehearsing on a bunch of stuff and my voice was a bit hoarse. So I went into saying, and I just had this intensity that was sounding coming, that was coming out of my voice. Yeah, and yeah. also I was being given and fed different songs that had, uh, I think one of my favorite ones was, I'll keep on loving you. After all I've been through, my mind just can't erase. It won't let me be placed. And it was just a, and they just gave it to me, and Bobby would feed me the lines, and I would just interpret them. You came into my life, touched me, and made me feel so nice. And you up and walked away. It's all about telling a story. So, yeah, right. You know, we were trying to tell stories at that time, and it was stories that were even above my age range where I was, but I had yeah, the years, so I could see what was going on with them. And then- You were the youngest member in the band, weren't you? Yes. As I now, had been in all the other bands that I was in, I was the youngest guy. How was that, you know, being around a bunch of, you know, um, you know, Mike and, you know, uh, Ike and right. Pierre, and all these guys, like, you guys was, much, you know, they a little bit older than you. Was it ever, like a clash as far as ideas and you know creativity as far you know with these guys being a little being older well not from them being older just being individuals we would have some clashes sometimes but that's what made us a band because we weren't all on the same that's fair. thing that's what made our synergy right. the way it was because it was compliments of everybody's unique ideas yeah. you know and that's yeah. what made the whole so you know, the conflicts are just part of life. And then we just evolved mm. with that. And um, Bobby Harris got to give him a lot of credit. He was writing a lot of songs. And he wasn't a singer or what have you, but he would put together a foundation and then right. we would go in and interpret it. And that's mm. when the magic really started coming out. You know, I, and that was one of those things I had about uh, that memory thing that I have on music. So yeah. when we're in there recording, I wouldn't know what, you know, he's written out the song where he wanted me to say, right. um, you know, let's well, skip, here's the melody. How many times did I be alone? <laughs> wondering, yourself and I would ever come home. Okay, can you do that? And I said, okay, I got it. Here we yeah. go. How many nights have you been all alone? Wondering to yourself and I was ever coming home. And then that's how I would interpret it. Okay. And then that's what we would record. Okay, next line. Give me the next line. And then I would go through the whole song like that. And so that was and bleed. That, that was that was the creative the, the creative process of, of you know the dance band. Right. And certain okay. songs would just hit me, and I would always become one with the song. There were some great songs that. So so look, we, we I want to go to so here we are. You know, you guys dropped your first uh your first album on Motown. And that album didn't really do it. Didn't it? Didn't really take off. You know that wasn't what we saw was 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 a beginning of. You know we saw a glimpse of great things to come. But Motown was patient with you guys. You know what I'm saying you release uh, let the music. Uh, um, yeah, let the music play. Let the music play, which got one of my favorite songs. Which I I don't know why that song didn't reach higher. Knock knock, you killed the vocals on that. Oh, thank you. That you know, knock, knock, heartbeat, gamble. Yeah. Um, uh, what will I do without you? 
Yeah, um, I wrote on that one. The time is forever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that has some, but that's, that's not. Great. That's that's the one yeah. right. That one went number one, and then Chicago and Detroit and all those areas. But the reason why we didn't go as far because we were not brought in by Motown. We were brought in by Joe Simone. And Joe Simone, being our manager and a distributor, there was some resentment about him being successful. It was almost like uh, Barack going in to be uh, president and the system wouldn't work with him. That was what was happening on with Motown. They weren't working with him. So, so you guys didn't really have like a direct relationship with Barry Gordy? No. We saw Barry Gordy one time. In you got it. We one time in all the years that we were there. And that was because we were on something big like Soul Train or, yeah. or the Hollywood Bowl or the Greek Theater down in Los Angeles or something, the big show that we were doing. And he came to that show one time. Now the Wow, that's amazing. I had no idea because you guys were on Motown for, for you know, for about six, seven years. Yeah. And yeah. when I think about, you know, the, uh, that that time period and, you know, the, the prominence uh, of you guys around that time, I, I it's hard to imagine that you guys only saw him one time. Like, yeah. you know, but also, you know, this is one of the things, and I don't know if you realize that, and you, you probably do, but the fans, I don't know if the fans probably know this, but I believe you guys were, I think you guys were really like the only band on Motown outside of Switch, I believe. Um, That might have been so. I mean, there was, you know, there was some other bands. I don't know. I can't think right now of the other bands, but we were, we were kind of in our own space. And there were some other bands because we were on the 25th uh, uh, anniversary of, of the Grammys, and they put another somebody in our slot that was high energy or sheer energy, a girls group. Yeah, that's a girl group. That's not a right. band. No, that was a girls group. They put them yeah. in the slot in the thing because they were Motown, and we were through Joe. We were signed to Motown, but through Joe. So it was always something that was they never really wanted to give us our due by Motown because we came through Joe. And Joe was the one that had the power over Motown because he delivered the records to all the places that Motown artists made and sent out. So you guys never really went through like, you know, like artist development or anything like that. No, no, he did it. Joe Simone did the artist development on us. Cause he was, he was pretty us. He was and the one paying us for rehearsal. He was the one that set up and we rehearsed in the warehouse where all the records were. That's where we rehearsed every day. Okay. Five days a week. Okay. So, so what was the direction of like, you got, you, you guys release, uh, you know, uh, let the music play in 81. Had had one of my favorite dance band songs of all time, which I feel like it should have been much higher. Went to number 44 in the charts, but now, you know, it's, it's going into 1982. And what was the direction of the, of the band around this time? Like, what were you guys, what did you guys feel like you need to get to that next level? Well, we were rising with the formula that was created. We started Hello? creating this formula. Yeah, I'm here. We started creating this formula. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? You yes, hear me? I can hear you, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. So we started creating this formula. Yes, sir. Yes, I can uh, hear you. All right. After this, after this first album, um, Invitation of Love, then let the music play. We started with this formula. Then keep it live came right after that, which had Let It Whip on it. 
And that's when I felt, we felt that we had arrived in a certain place and it was taking us and there was an identifying sound. And I was a part of that identifying sound on the song because I was on a lot of the ballad singing. I was on Let It Whip and Joystick singing. And, um, but then things started changing because the powers that be, I won't mention who that was, but the powers that be at that time uh, were trying to, trying to kind of uh, feed the audience a little bit of me and then try to introduce somebody else to make that go. So it became a big hole. Everybody was just killing it. Then it started diversing the sound. That's when, after that, then we had On The One For Fun, which changed the direction altogether. And there was no more doing a bunch of lead things. Now it was a bunch of everybody was singing it and it was changing the sound and dynamic of the band. And that was kind of frustrating. Yeah, because I want yeah, because what I think about the dance band, and that you you can ask anybody, Skip Martin is the sound of the dance band. Like all the all the you know the lead vocals. I mean, it's pretty much. I know guys later on, but when we think of the dance band, we think of Skip Martin. Like well, you, that's just what it is. But the that's power to be is. on the inside weren't thinking that way. They wanted it to be a band, and it was coming. And 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 I'm looking at well, man, we done set all this up to get all this momentum going, and now you want to change it up and just put a little bit of me here, a little bit of me there. I mean, now man, talk about that. Let's, let's slow down a little bit. Let's slow. Let's slow down a little bit. So we got the Keep It Live album, 1982. Mm -hmm. um, the first single, boom, out of here. I believe that's Let It Whip, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Maybe, yeah. Let, uh, Let It Whip was the first. Um, uh, Keep It Live went to number twenty on the charts. Mm -hmm. uh, matter of fact, Keep It Live was released first. It went to number right. twenty on the charts, and then Let It Whip was released. So, what when when that song went out of here? I mean, what was life like for the Dash Band in nineteen eighty two going into nineteen eighty three? What was that oh, like? It was busy. It was uh, it was hot and heavy, and everything was coming at us from you know the good things and the bad things that come with success and notoriety and all of that and gold record and then winning a grammy award which i never thought we would win i'm just like i, I didn't even want to think about it because i didn't want my heart broken so i didn't try to think about it but uh, nonetheless it did happen but it didn't change our lives so i didn't think it changed my life much because we was still struggling still paying for bills still doing this and doing that and so forth and it wasn't like what we believed and dreamed that, well, we're going to hit it, we're going to hit big, right. and we're going to be rich and famous and all, no worries. But mm. it was not like that at all. Not only was it rough with the, initially with the, you know, it was hot and heavy because of all the things that were happening, opportunities, the television shows, the movies, the this, the that, right. the, all the stuff that goes along with stardom. But then now you got all these other elements coming into play, the drug dealers, the, the chicks, the opportunists, the, you know, the marriages and divorces, the, the right. challenges, um, you know, all of those things, you know, the perceptions of you. And it was hard to see what anything was real or, or if it wasn't real because everybody liked us, but you didn't know if they liked you for you or the fact that you were fine. right. You know, so that kind of made things a little bit, you had to figure out on your own what was going to be good for you. Now, 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 Mr. Martin, so that, that you know, I, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying and that's you know that's that's a, that's typically the story that you hear from a lot of um a lot of different bands everybody every band have a, have their own uh story um but that particular I want to I want to stay on that album right there because the Keep It Live album I believe it was your first gold album so how did you guys feel with all that going on that you just mentioned 
with all that going on, how were you guys as far how did you guys feel as far as the product that you were delivering oh. delivering to the fans? Because you had that particular album, you got Gamble with My Love, Just Believe in Love. Let me like you guys was you guys did not miss on that album. That album, that album is the greatest hits album. Oh, thank you. We had a I mean, we had a great time doing that. It was great songs on it. The great creative talk about gamble with my love right for a second. I, I don't want to stop you, but talk that man. Talk about that song. That's to me, that's arguably your greatest vocal performance ever. Oh, thank you. That um and my, I, was, I was with Rob and I was again, I was interpreting and and not having any rules or what have you. And you know, and the guys that were living there, you know, they were dealing with, you know, they would go down to the pool hall or they go, they were throwing craps. Right. And this and that and so forth, shooting craps. You see how much I'm not familiar with. I'm talking about throwing craps. They were shooting craps. Right. And I'm over here, you know, learning all of this stuff. But I, I again, I just would go into this mode of of telling a story. And I'm very, I was very, I'm, I'm still that way to a degree, um, gun shy or stage fright in a lot of aspects. So I would, I can't see very well without my glasses. So when I'm doing things like what I'm doing with you right now, right. I don't wear glasses which are right here, so I can see if I need to. You're just but, like, I do the same thing. <laughs> it's like I'm being an ostrich with my head in the sand. If I can't see you, you can't see me. And right. then I could be an alter ego. And that's what you mostly see, the hand bone alter ego that I am when I'm on stage, because I can't see nobody and I act like they can't see me, and I can just be somebody else. But you never wore glasses on stage. I don't recall you ever wearing glasses on stage. That's what I'm saying. I wouldn't, because I didn't want to see the people. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, if I saw the people, I'd be nervous. Okay. And I did get some contacts one time, and I saw everybody, and I saw 10,000 pairs of eyes looking at me, and I lost all the words to Don't Gamble. Matter of fact, the whole band was playing, and I, I'm over there, took the mic and put it in my mouth and said, because I couldn't think of no words. I saw all those people at Worlds of Fun in Kansas City, and I could not even think. I was lost all the words like I had never sung the song before. And I'm wow. just, I'm just until they got to all the way to the chorus, don't, don't gamble. Then it all came back to me. But yeah. it was a whole verse of like, seemed like forever. That was the longest song ever. Man. One word. Can you, know, can, so, can you give me can can you give the fans a, just a, like a little taste of that right there that song right there man <laughs> if you don't mind if you don't mind let me see what I can do let me see what I can do you mean like this it's been two nights out late you never stop to think I could be alone lonely all by myself. Although you say you care, you never stop to share a moment with me. I've so much misery. Don't ever take my love for granted. Don't call your chips too high on me. You almost should have been the worst. I'm tired of being by myself. Yes, I find me someone to 
Hey, lady, don't gamble with my love, no. That was amazing. Hey, hey, brother, you still got it, brother. You still got it. I'm not surprised, man. You, hey, you still got it, brother. Hey, man, I, I appreciate I'm done. Good night. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, brother, you do not know how much that means to me and how much I believe that that's going to mean to the culture, man. Like, brother, a lot of people was born off that song right there, brother. Thank you, you know, thank you. That's not just that, that particular song, but that the songs on that out that that album that keep alive album, man. That just believe in love and that let me love you, man. You know, was there all was there ever like any conflict as far as like, you know, are we going to are we a up tempo band? Are we a band of, of of ballads? You know, because it seemed like the 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 hits, the songs that were the lead singles, those were the up tempo songs. But when you get to the albums, the albums was filled with some of the best ballads ever written. We, we really tried to put the ballad things out there, and the ballads were more receptive in those blue-collar areas like Chicago, Detroit, where they had motor motor cities and all where they motown okay. cities and all of that kind of stuff. The okay. Automobile, you know, companies and the employees and that kind yeah. of thing. That was central around the Ohio areas and Kentucky right. and Virginia's and, you know, those kind of places. But once you got to like New York or the West Coast, it was more about the fast songs that made, you know, that's what gave us our popularity. We were doing a lot of ballads, but yeah. we weren't getting the same notoriety as we were from our ballads. And I never understood that. Like that fast songs. But I'm a, when, I, when I talk to most um, hip hop, I mean, um, R&B purists, um dance, dance band purists you know a lot of them you know those they 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 tell me the ballads they age much better than the up-tempo uh songs not saying that the up-tempo songs did not age they did they aged pretty good so i was just listening to let it whip earlier today and i'm, I'm gonna be honest when i was a kid i did not like that song <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i didn't like that song when i initially when i first heard it but mm -hmm. then as i started getting older like that song sounds better in 2020 than it did. But like I love, I love that song. Now it's not my favorite song on that particular mm -hmm. album. It's not my mm -hmm. favorite jazz band song, but that that song is definitely deserved its place as you know one of the greatest um, up tempo funk jams of the 1980s. Man, I got I gotta give you guys uh, uh, your props. You. That was a, that was a blessing to have that. And what it what it really did was see we were. Our stuff was coming out when it was a time where uh, they were making, they meaning our world and our society was evolving into a welcomeness and inclusiveness of black and white together. Okay. And this is where I make a joke when I go up and do songs. When I start playing this song and the and let it was open up and it went, Whoa. I said, all right, now you guys remember Saturday morning? How many of you used to watch Soul Train? They said, yeah. I said, yeah, okay. Well, I was on Soul Train 12 times and six right. with Google with and the gang and six with this group right here called the Dazz Man. So you know what? They said, what? 
I said, this is where all my white friends learn how to dance. <laughs> okay. And that was true. It was, it was tying that R&B music was being yeah. tied into the public that was primarily yeah. Caucasian that was watching what we were doing. Now they're mimicking us. That's true. And learning how to do the dance moves and stuff. There was only one non-white person on Soul Train, and that was a lady named Cheryl Song, who was the Asian lady that was dancing with the big ponytail? She was the only yeah, one yes. that wasn't black. Yeah, yeah. On that show, but that. How many times were you guys on Soul Train? Because I remember seeing we were on six times. Okay, yeah, yeah. We did Joystick. We would keep it live. We did Let It Whip. We did Don't Gamble. Yeah. Uh, we did uh, Hot Spot. I think we'd. I can't remember, but we were on there six times. Each time we were on there, we did two songs. Yeah, yeah. You guys, do you guys have like do you guys still have any footage of of um you know like those performances? Yeah, I still have footage of some of those performances, and it's on YouTube. You can go to and watch us on American Bandstand, doing yeah. Let It Whip with Dick Clark, and um. All I want that. that yeah. We I had that something that was really working. I, I want. I'm trying to get some footage of Gamble with my love, man. I'm trying to get some footage of that one right there. I will oh. pay anybody. For that they right got there. some on YouTube. If you go to Skip Marching Jazz Band, Don't Gamble, it's at the Fox Theater. Wow. At the Fox. I'm I, was a, I'm a, a, I was being a hand bone, man. It was my Jerry Curls and everything. We were doing it. We, we killed it. It was oh, a nice, yeah. nice arrangement, too. Yeah. Nice arrangement that we did on Don't Gamble. What was, what was some of the, 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 the favorite, uh, some of your favorite venues performing, you know, with the... Um, with the dance well, the, the Circle Star Theater, Sunrise Theater down in Florida, uh, Circle Star Theater out there in San Francisco in the Bay Area. Okay. Um, you know, uh, oh my goodness. Uh, the All the Blue Notes uh, from here and in Japan. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, I've been, in, I've been in a lot of great venues. I was in more venues with Cool and the Gang than I was with the Dazz Band. Okay. So I did a lot of a lot of traveling around and all the biggest Wembley and Hammersmith Odeon and all those big big arenas. Uh, okay. You know, the big now, now Mr. Mark, Europe. Now, being that you guys were signed with Motown, you know, who were some of your um, you know, acquaintances? Who were some of the, you know your friends? You know, on the label because you know you tell you you just you just mentioned that you know you didn't directly work under Barry Gordy, but you were still, you know, when you look well, at the we house. still there and we had a lot of, I mean, Steve it's, it's gave us a lot of love. Rick James gave us a hell of love. I really loved Rick. I knew him personally for many years till he died. Um, and um, Rick James was another one. Um, Gladys and the Pips, they were another group that gave us a lot of love. Like I say, Stevie Wonder, the Whispers, they gave us a lot of love. And, uh, the guys in Cool in the Gang, or the people that booked us because we were on the road with Cool in the Gang, that's right. how I got a chance to meet them and have a relationship with them, and which ended up being a future job for me, singing right. with them. Right. So <clears throat> we as the Daz Band, we went on the road with Swispers, <coughs> Rick James, right. and Cool in the Gang. Wow. And those were the ones that we were out there on the road with the most. Okay, okay. So what was, you know, when I think of like a lot, you know, we're talking about you know the uh, the mid '80s, early '80s, mid '80s, and a lot of bands were were, were starting to downsize. You know, even Cameo, um, you know, just a lot of you know even the, the Confunction. I can I can go on and on, but it seemed like the Daz band. You guys kept it all together. Like, what was 
you know, was there ever like a challenge as far as, you know, not going completely to, you know, drum machines and all the different technologies, you know, technology, because at the time, you know, I believe in now. correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, let it whip. I believe that got some MTV airplay when MTV wasn't playing black uh, artists. Well, uh, it's, it didn't get any airplay. That's why not on MTV. That's why okay. BET was created because MTV was not playing black people faces on it. Okay. So MTV That's all always it went all the way to like number number five on the pop charts, but number one on the R and B charts. Right, but they still wouldn't put us on MTV. That's crazy. Black faces, and so we there weren't any black people on videos until two people broke it out. Rick James did it with Super Freak, and then they had to put him on MTV, and then Michael Jackson did it with Thriller. Yeah, and they had to put him on this MTV, right. and then. That started spreading it. But before then, Let It Whip came out. And the reason why Let It Whip came out and won is because that year, Michael didn't put out a record. <laughs> that was one blessing for us. <laughs> you know. And, so when y'all uh, won that Grammy, when, when, you, when you guys won the Grammy for Let It Whip, now was that the same year that, um, that was the year before, was that the year after uh, Michael won all those Grammys? Yeah, I think it was the year before. Okay. Yeah, it was whatever what year it was, it was a year he didn't put out a record. And that was a blessing <laughs> for us. Because every time he put out, he was like, oh, shoot. He was like Larry Bird or Joe Montana. Oh, my goodness. He I mean, kept his foot on everybody's neck in the 80s. You know, man. Yeah, and, then, and I got a chance to meet him later on in life, and that just messed me up. I started crying like a chick. Oh, okay. That's, that, that's amazing. So, so, look, like I was saying, so – was it ever a challenge as far as, you know, like you guys keeping a band together with all the different technology and the sound? You got this new wave, you know, you got new wave and. Um, well, yeah, there was, the always, there was always a challenge with keeping it together because we were such perfectionists and we wanted, you know, we worked workaholics and we tried to yeah. make sure that it was strong and powerful all the time. And, and if yeah. we come in there and somebody was slowing the tempos down, People wouldn't even realize out there all the conflict and turmoil. We'd be going in there fussing right. and kicking our own selves for not doing the best we could do. Right. You know, and um, so that was just all part of it. Um, you know, part of anything successful, you know, you have to, there has to be some kind of conflict right. in order for, order for you to be great. If there was no conflict, you'd just be mediocre. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, so there was always going to be some kind of a conflict and what have you. And that, that worked out. I mean, I gave that like we did keep it live and and on the joystick the and yeah. on the one for one on the one for fun. Then I believe came Hotspot. And after Hotspot, I just decided to make a a change. And it was gonna make something change and I wasn't gonna stay in what was comfortable. I wanted now, what do you mean by that? Like what an hour ago, I mentioned to you about you have to have the courage to go somewhere less convenient, less comfortable to make it. Okay. Well, at that point in time, um, they were changing up the concept and what have you. It was no longer what it was and keep it live. and wasn't what it was and let the music play. And we were going from on the one to fun to I was barely singing any of the songs. And I was 
little bits and pieces in here and there and there and here. And I felt like it was diluting it. Now, hold on one second, Mr. Martin. I'm trying to figure out, like, I don't understand what, like, like the formula is working with Skip Martin singing leads. You know, you every album, you know, you, you, you're, you're getting a top 10, uh, top five uh, uh, record on every album. What, what, why did you guys feel the need to change the it wasn't sound? You, it, wasn't, it wasn't you guys. It was certain people the, that oh, okay. were running that scenario. That but the formula worked. That, I'm trying to answer you. They were, they were feeling that they wanted to diversify the sound so it wouldn't be so focused or located on one person. That's what they were trying to do. So instead of taking them out all together, just put a little line of them in, and then just put this person in on there. Then put the line in, and put that person in on there, and it just started changing the formula to the point that I said, after hot spot, I said, "Look, you guys going to be rich and famous. I'm going to go back and reboot." And that's when I turned around and I left. I left Dazman for ten years. So let's fast forward. Let's fast forward a little bit. So now. We got 2001, link up with Cool in the gang. Now, how how was that call like? How did you, you know, how did you link up with- That didn't, um, happen, with, that didn't happen in 2001. That happened in 1987. So oh. I was actually only with the Daz Band from 1980 to 1986 because okay. <laughs> I did all those albums in that time period. And in 1987, that's when they did the song and the album Hot Spot. Right. All right. Now, actually, it was 1986 because I left after that. On the top of everything that was going on, this and that, it was changing the formula. I couldn't control it, and I wanted to do more, and I wanted to do solo albums as well. You know, if you're going to do it this way, then let me just do it the way I'm feeling. Right. And I'm going to go on and do this. But at that time, white groups could do it like, like uh, uh, <clears throat> Phil Collins. You know, he'd go off and sing leads and what have yeah. you. And Sting could go off and sing leads and they'd stay together. But if a brother's band or a black band wanted, where the lead wanted to go off, then it was like it was destroying the whole band. You wouldn't, they wouldn't accept to go out and do your things and then still be a band. So I just I decided to make a move and start again, have the courage to start again. Gave up the houses, gave up the cars, gave up all those things, the prestige, and let the band stay there and keep doing what they were doing. And I left. And then, that was in 86, New Year's Eve. That was my last show, 86. And then uh, in about three or four months, Cool and the Gang had called me because J.T. Taylor had left Cool and the Gang. And they were looking for a lead singer. And that's how I auditioned and ended up getting a job for to sing lead vocals. I did that for 10 years straight, two hours of a two and a half hour show with Cool and the Gang and uh, playing with them. <clears throat> And uh, that was the first 10 years of it. Now I did about the same amount of albums, if not more, yeah. with Cool in the Game um, at that time. And I recorded about six, seven albums with him yeah. up to that point. And then uh, and you, now, now, when you were in Cool in the Game, did JT Taylor, did he ever come back? He came back after the first 10 years. They brought JT back. So how did it feel? How did that? How was that like? You know, bringing the lead singer back. Well, let me tell you. Go I ahead. don't know because when he came back, they fired all of us, me included. So when JT came back, 
they wanted he wanted a whole other band, all of this, and they and they were, tried to work it out, and um, it didn't work out. So after a year of them trying that and us being on our own, then I had gone back home, and then that's when I reconnected after ten years with the Daz Band and started singing with them again. So that's when we did our album Here You Go, Here We Go Again, and and some other uh, albums after that, and. Um, and uh, we just started. I was actually mixing a, a single record that I had done, which I was doing another version of Let It Whip in Bernie Grumman's studio in Los Angeles. And they, when I pulled up to the studio, they said, oh, the dad's band are over there in that room. And I thought, because I was right. doing a remake on Let It Whip, they were thinking it was a dad's band. But actually, the dad's band was in there doing an album. Now, was all the members still, like, was the Wiley Brothers and, you know, everybody still pretty much, no, you know? No, not all the Wiley. Well, the Wiley Brothers weren't all there because Mike Wiley committed suicide, killed himself when he was there a couple of years after I left. And uh, so we lost him and the band is fragment, but Bobby Harris still stuck in there and with a few people and, you know, trying to keep things going. But yeah. um, he and I teamed back up and we're basically the, the, the core of it. Um, the Daz band, he and I. And so we just started coming back together and working on putting things together. And, and uh, we started another relationship. Again, I had been 95 to you know, 97, something like that was when we got back together and started doing stuff after 87. Yeah, it was 10 years later. And then, um, yeah, I started doing stuff with them. And, uh, then in that then that same year in in '97, uh, Cool and the Gang decided to bring uh, me back in Odine Mays and another guy named Sean McQuiller and brought us back and we started working again. And uh, I was able to, you know, work. Actually, I told him I'm already working with Daz Band again now, so I can't right. sing all the time with you. And they said, well, that's all right. We got another guy over here. You can sing the stuff and you can come in and out. So for 10 years, I did both Daz Band and Cool in the Gang simultaneously. So, that's you know, my family didn't see me much. So how many, how many, uh, how many children do you have? I have four. None of them are children now. They're yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> They're all old, old as you. Got beards and, you know, gray yeah. hair, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so I have four total. Do any any of your um any any of your uh, your offspring uh, do any of them play music? Um, my daughter's really she got a lot of that singing ability from me. She definitely has that. Okay. She was good enough to get on the X, X Factor and go to the top ten of the girls. Oh, okay. So I mean, she was she was pretty good. Um, okay. But. My other ones, I have a son that's got talent. He can sing, and they most of them have ability to sing and what have you. But it takes more than the ability. There's more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. You, you gotta have tenacity. You have to want it. You have to desire it. Yeah. You, know, you have to seek it. You have to pursue it. You have to sweat. You know, all of those things. Even with the gift, you still have to sweat. If you don't okay. sweat, you don't gain equity. No doubt, no doubt. And that's what's different between the young people and where we are today because they're not willing to sweat like we had to sweat or michael yeah. jackson and them okay do it again i'll beat your ass do it again yeah. you know you think they yeah. should bring back you know do you think they'll ever bring back like you know like yeah. even when you guys were um when you guys were at motown 
Now, you guys didn't do artist development, but Motown did have artists like labels, whether it was Mercury, MCA, whatever. You know, these labels had artist development. Do you think they'll ever bring that back or do you, or do you feel like that's that's even needed today? No, one, they're not going to bring that back because that was a game. The game was we're bringing these artists and gifts and because we there's only three te television stations and and all these radio stations we have a monopoly on that so we're going to develop we're going to develop them and charge them for that development so when they have a hit record most of that money is going to come back to us i i i that swear i swear i never knew that that's the game i, I had no so, idea so most of that most of that scenario was the record companies were doing all of this stuff and then they're going to do the video for you and develop that and they're going to do this for you and your clothes and this and that and so forth and now you have a hit record of you're making 35 cents off of the record that costs 12 dollars at mm. that time okay so um and then whatever it is they developed you with they were charging you for and then they would deduct that from the success of the record so if you had a million seller you know, and, it's, and maybe it's $35 million total. Well, we did this video for you. That was a million dollars. We did this studio for you. That was $500,000. We did this for you. We put these clothes on you. That was another $300,000 on top of that. Then we managed this for you. That was another eight million. So before you know it, they done spent all of your monies from your earnings from the records on what they did for you. Mm. Now here goes your 35 cents. That's like the, the, the new edition uh, situation. Yeah, well, the difference was they were down the road. So they had already, you know, there were people like us that had already given them an example of how you can get away with some of those things away from it. That I remember talking to Bobby Brown one time. And he was telling me, man, I went through it. And he says, we were a new edition. We were a super band. Now I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking about, super band? You ain't no damn super band. He said, no, when I'm saying super band, he says, because we had a platinum, double platinum record as a group new edition, then each entity within the band also had double and platinum. Ralph Transvan, Johnny Gill, Bobby Brown, they all had individual multi-platinum records. That's true. So that's how he was talking to it. He said, how many teenagers at 21 years of age spend $1 million in one day? And I said, dang, how'd you do that? He said, I bought a house, a car, and four watches. <laughs> million dollars was gone. <laughs> Bobby, you know. Bobby, you know, Bobby, Bobby. Yeah, but he, but he cracked me up. I had to respect that because, he, you know, he's saying, you know. Yeah. But, you know, he said, at that time, I was making 35 cents per album. And we were having double platinums. So you do the math, mm. you know, I'm like, okay. So how, you know, 20, a 20 year old got all this money. All I knew was I could spend it. Right. That's what he yeah. was doing. So, you know, he said, I want uh. to buy a house, a car and four watches and million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. That's but crazy. He said, I wasn't, he said he wasn't too stressed because He's getting ready to have another album that was coming out after that one, so he knew he was going to be back in some kind of funding. And so that's part of how it was really being dealt with. It was a game. It was a process. Now, is it going back to that? No, because now everybody's got the studio. Now everybody can 
recorded. Now everybody's got a Mac or a computer or iMovie or iPhone or editing this and that or editing this and that or that or this or they they can do it themselves. So it's never going back to that record company scenario. What it will you don't do think so? No. What it will do is it'll go to distributor where they distribute your digital project because next year, the year after next, you won't even be able to find a CD. Oh yeah, yeah, I believe. Yeah. You know, that's on the way, that's that's going out. That's the other is. thing now is, is like what we're doing right now, we're doing a virtual right. thing. This is yeah. gonna be the future, is where we going with the future of it. Yeah, yeah. Even with the future of concerts, where they have six and eight screens with people in all different places playing. That was part of the silver lining of what was going on with this COVID because it made us reach for other things that we weren't didn't even know That's existed. True. So it lit, it lit a fire under a lit a lit a fire under under a lot of people's asses. I say that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It forced you, you know, like creators. I feel like it forced them to go out and you know get out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And. That's Exactly. So that's where growth occurs, right? Out right. of your comfort zone. Exactly. And um, you know, it also for you know, if I, I feel like it forced you know a lot of artists to um tap into their audience as well, you know. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like you know, they, they some artists it it when I look like outside looking in, and I could be wrong, you're an artist, so you know this better than me, obviously. But it seemed like when I look at some artists, they they I see a disconnect from their mm -hmm. audience. Like I see they don't treat their fans and their audience as if they're a part of what brought them this success. What do you think about that? Well, the audience is what brought us the success, but um, the social media right now is connected in, connecting the artists now to that success that we didn't have before. Because before we had millions of people that liked what we were doing, but we didn't know their own opinions. They, we weren't getting anything. Just like, I like your record because I did this or that. You couldn't even connect with them. All we know is we sold, you know, 100,000, 500,000, a million to some people somewhere. But now you can connect with those people. So it's a different environment. It's more positive for more reinforcing and encouraging, I think, for the artists today because of the capabilities to interact with your fan base okay. that we never had before okay, okay. and a no, picture's I, worth a thousand words so no instead doubt. of paying a record company to invest six million dollars into doing a video for you or a million dollars in doing a video for you you can do the same thing for a couple to twenty thousand ten thousand five thousand yeah. three thousand one thousand yeah. pay the yeah. pay the editor editor two hundred fifty dollars and you got you a video there you go. A lot of people making videos right off these things right here. Yes, I'm telling you, because the technology and, is killing. And it looked like you you wouldn't even be able to tell. It, it, it looked like something that probably cost hundred thousand dollars right off right off a phone. Mm -hmm. yeah. So with, with like a, we we were just talking about like artist development. Now, music has changed a lot, you know, since you originally came into the uh, the music industry. Um, you know, compared to where we at now, and a lot of people. In particular, in um, you know, in in uh, rhythm and blues, they're not very pleased with the direction that R and B has went into, as far as you know what it once was. What is your take on that? Um, 
Well, R&B has changed because the record companies, I believe, at the time had to find another way to keep servicing that, quote, category, R&B. And um, as there were young artists that were R&B artists at the time, from Marvin Gaye to this and that, so once their time passed, then the R&B artists started being rappers that were rapping about this and that. They were the ones getting the most vibe because of the reinsurgence of this, in, in, insurgence of this style of music into the R&B competition. <clears throat> then now you got <clears throat> Snoop or you got, <clears throat> you have um, P. Diddy or, or, or um, um, I get what you mean. Yeah, you know all of our all of our new you know the artists, all of the leg right. legacies, uh, Biggie, 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 and all of that stuff. Then that started being sort of R and B. Then uh, then R and B kind of started being ta overtaken by white boys that were singing black music. Now they just started selling started more. Paying. Yeah, they start it's selling, selling more. more, and it's just started going more and more and so forth. Now, R and B, it went from you know, talking about love songs to actually talking about making love. And it wasn't even making love, it's the F word. You know, right. you know, the man girl, that girl booty looked so good. It was up there. I wish I could get to it and beat that down. It's like yeah. you know, all twist yeah. it all around, spin on the head and then put it on my face and you know, take it home <laughs> my face. It has changed. But we you know metaphors for. But the, but the thing is, Mr. Martin, like, I don't think people such as myself who appreciate what you do. I love like I'm an R&B purist. That was my introduction to music was rhythm and blues. You know, I, I mean, I'm not as old as you, but I definitely remember a time where hip hop was just not as popular. But I want to say this. I would be I would not be that upset with the state of R&B. And I don't think a lot of people we will be we would not be as upset with the state of R&B. If we could have singers like yourself, could you? We don't have this like the singers, and that's where a lot of people we kind of miss art, artist development. It's, it's almost like a it's a double edged sword. Like it, like you just told me, and you told me some things about artist development. I had no idea. I had no idea about that. I didn't know mm -hmm. that they taxed the artists like that. But mm -hmm. at the same time, when you had artist development. It worked as far as bringing forth a great product, did it not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, it, it, I'm trying to figure out, like, what do you think, like, it, what, what silver lining or what you know that you 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 see in the in the near future as far as bringing that back to to rhythm and blues where you have the talent, like back then, all of you guys, it seemed like everybody tried to tried to be different the dance band didn't sound like midnight star midnight star didn't sound like atlantic star atlantic mm -hmm. star didn't sound like the osley brothers and so so on and so right. forth and it just seemed like everybody had a very identifiable sound and it just well, seemed like now everybody now is they just sound the same and and the talent level is just not what it once was as far as mainstream rhythm and blues okay well the difference is now the market saturates, even if you're multi-talented, they can oversaturate it to see where it, where it desensitizes your experience. That's one thing, okay? The other thing is the industry has been rewarding things 
that were lookalikes and saying, okay, so so-and-so got a hit like this. So, oh, man, you got one that sounds like that? Put that out there then. Okay. Versus we had a band in every other garage when I was coming up. We only had four stations, ABC, right. NBC, CBS, right, whatever, right. you know. And, and, um, and now you've got hundreds of stations. Now you have all these digital platforms. Now everybody's got it where they can get it on their phone before they even have to have an album or a CD. They can get it on their phone. Right, yeah. So, yeah. so it's just for the next best, next hottest thing, that the dynamics. They're not going back to those garages. Mm. Playing, they're not going back to. Now they're they're what I call, they're constructing. Um, what do you call that? Um, where where you put things all together, collaging. They are collaging music. Okay. So you sing like this, and all you got to do is sing one line. You go and sing one line. Hey, how you doing? Next thing you know, the DJs turn around and go, Hey, what? What the hell? <laughs> They're doing all this other shit that you didn't even do. Yeah. So because of the technology and all the things we They're do. getting by. But that's the thing, like back in and I hate to be that guy. I hate and that's why I have the platform that I have because with all this going on, I still feel like what you guys did, like that was what we considered rhythm real rhythm and blues. You guys had a a sound. That was very distinctive. Skip Martin had this. No one sounded like Skip Martin. You didn't. Skip Martin didn't sound like Lionel Richie. He didn't sound like Michael Cooper from Confunction. You know, he didn't sound like Larry Dawson from the Bar. Like, oh, oh, so on and so forth. And it just seemed like we got so far removed from that. And I just don't know if we're ever going to, you know, like what inspires you to continue to release music. You know, because. Here we are. We're forty. What forty plus years in the music industry, mm -hmm. and you're still making great music. I was just listening to, and I want to get into this real quick. You, um, you got so many projects. I can't cover all of them, but one of my favorites is your first jazz uh, solo project. What made what made you to releasing that? Um, you know that project with uh, I believe Wayne and Tinsdale. You had yeah. Um, Bruce, Bruce Conte from from yeah. uh, Tower Power. Yeah. Um, the late Ricky Lawson, yeah, uh, Ronnie Laws, man. I mean, yeah. talk about that experience, man, because that to me is that's my favorite um, Skip Martin project. Oh, thank you very much. Well, you're gonna really love the new ones that I have. Um, that came from actually that came from my relationship with two people that you just mentioned. One of them was Michael Cooper, and the other one was Larry Dotson. And we have been practicing on this thing that we have put together from Bobby Harris, who created it called United We Funk All-Stars. Okay. United We Funk All-Stars was the Daz Band, Barcades, Confunction, SOS Band, and Charlie Wilson, as all dressed out as one band. Wow. And we played all of our hits for a three-hour show. And while we were getting a chance to know each other, we were also going to have Roger Trotman was going to be on it and Rick James. But both of them met their demise before we finished the project. Rick had a stroke, what have you, and he couldn't be on the show. And then... Uh, um, Roger Troutman was killed by his brother while we were doing the, the album. Yeah, and he's from Cleveland as well, too, by the way. He um, was from Ohio. I don't, he wasn't from Cleveland, but he was from Ohio, either Dayton or somewhere like that. And um, so we were doing this, and Larry Dotson and, and, and Michael Cooper saw me over there playing on my trumpet, practicing in between while we were rehearsing for this show. And 
Larry asked me, he said, no, Michael asked me, had you ever thought about doing a trumpet CD? And I'm like, playing trumpet? He's like, yeah. I'm like, no. You know, I didn't see myself being that, that good to be able to do an album. And so they both said to me, you know, I think you ought to do an album. And so Michael actually, he sponsored my first jazz recording uh, wow. on trumpet. And so that's how I ended up starting the Michael project. Cooper, man. Salute to him. You know, so that's what started my my playing trumpet and doing my recording okay. and album. That was my first one called Miles High. Yeah, I love I love that that, that title track and Moon Splash. Oh, thank you. That was going to be great. And you know what? I'm tying it. I was t that was when Miles Davis passed, and yeah. I was on tour with with Cool and the Gang, and I was in Germany, and I wrote a song right then and there about Miles High, and then I put that on the album. But I also, I'm still tying into that resonance of Miles because I'm preparing to release my new album, which is called Audacity of Miles. Okay. And I have two albums that I have done with a group called Organic Neo. I didn't bring my, my mute up here. So I would be playing a song for you because the material, material is so killer. Sunil, can you bring my mute out of my horn case, please? Come on, let's go, let's go. We got another exclusive on the Bridging the Generation podcast. Another <laughs> exclusive by the one and only. Sunil, can you hear me? Skip Martin, let's go. Take your time, brother. <laughs> I told you, I said, hey, brother. I said, I hope you have a little time because I, I want to get into this, this this catalog. You know, when I when I think of artists that have been around as long as you have been, it's just not that many artists, man, that have been around as long as that that had the career from the success from this this band and this era. And it's it's amazing that you're still here and not just still oh, no. here. As, still as an artist, as an artist, picture an artist like a painter. Once we paint a picture. We only get our, our kicks and our jollies off by painting a picture. So right. once that picture is done, a real artist has some level of depression, like post-birth or postpartum depression. After the mother has birthed the baby, there's a certain sadness because that's no longer with her and she's got to do whatever. So right. the same thing with the artist. Once I finish, that's why I have 65 albums right now because I go through depression after I have finished one album. Once I finish right. the album and that's done, then I'm looking around going, oh, it's over? <laughs> oh. And then God gives me another project. I'm like, okay, I'm good again. Now I start that's working it. on another one. And then as soon as I get finished with that one, oh, it's over? <laughs> <laughs> you know, 65 times. Wait a minute. One, so just wanted to give you a vibe here because uh, before I get going, uh, I'm rehearsing because I'm doing this show with the Daz Band this weekend. I have to put okay. some time in on that. So, so before uh, before you before you start that, what is the who who consists of the Daz Band as of 2020 going into 2021? Um, Bobby Harris and myself, the original, Marlon McClain from Pleasure plays guitar with us. I'm sorry, I hate to stop you. Marlon McClain from Pleasure is with the Daz Band. Yeah, he was with us for 20-something years. Yeah, wow. he's been with us a long time. He took a hiatus as well, but he came back. He's playing with us. And now we have Keith Harrison playing with us again. 
Keith Harrison was out of Ohio and yeah, he used to play with the Yon for a while. So now he's on, he's in the band with us, and Seku Bunch is playing bass with us on some things. Um, and uh, yeah, Raymond Calhoun, the guy band is playing drums with us. I saw you with um, now I saw you with Michael. Is that his son, Michael, Michael. Calhoun? I saw you with some, um, you was talking with um, a young brother early on your Instagram. Is that the son? Is that is he related to uh, Raymond Calhoun? Because I no, no, that guy was not. Oh, because I know they had the same last name, Calhoun. Yeah, but nah, I don't think so. I don't even know if Raymond has a son like that that I know of. Okay, I, I apologize. I just had to, I had to, I had to ask. I know I know who Raymond Calhoun is. Yeah, you know, but he's the guy that wrote out Sandy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's dope. He's dope. He's yeah. Dope. So that's that's basically the configuration of the band now. Me, Bobby, Donnie, um, Calhoun, Marlon McLean, Sekou, when we can have him on the shows, and yeah, and that's it. Okay, thank you. I appreciate we that. Are the hey, that's the dad's bad sound right there. I'm gonna be honest, yeah. like, I, hey, that's the sound right there. Yeah, so we just try to keep things going, and um, but I'm still. I mean, I'm still playing. I'm still writing music. I'm still making things that are, uh, you know, I'm still putting that sound in on certain things. And right. even I, I try to tell people when you're making songs, you're making something that's uh, this killer, you can always put something over some music that you like, uh, right. you know, that's, that's killing. I've got an album now called Skip Martin EDM Lounge, and it's on Spotify and all these digital platforms featuring okay. Jackal, Skip Martin EDM Lounge. Mm. Uh, go to it because it's streaming almost 2 million streams at the moment. Wow. And it's given a foundation for young people because there's not a lot of lyrics or what have you on the songs. It's right. open and it's free so they can put their own lyrics and stuff on top of it and dances to it and that kind of stuff. And it's really, really cool. So that one is going out great. I did a new album that I have called Organic Neo. I have two albums that I did in the past four years that got no play whatsoever, but the material is so strong. Yeah. I, I grabbed it and I reconfigured it and I put six of one album and six of the other album on the one album and added my own couple of songs on top of it. And that's what I call the audacity of miles. So I can submit it into the Grammy process in 2021 so it can be available for 2022 and some the music is so crazy hot um i'm just enjoying that um my also my music director his name is tom schumann tom schumann is from the group spira gyra oh the jazz, the, jazz, the jazz fusion band right and he is the the keyboard player that's been there since the inception yeah he's a genius and he and I are tied at the hip, so we do all these songs together. So we decided to put them all together. So now we have, we've done about 30, 40 songs. And so we just took about 12 of them and made one CD and we call it JTS, which stands for Just Tom and Skip. Oh, and that dope. will be released after the, after this new year. Okay. But I take songs that are, you know, I, I've taken songs that I have done I'm gonna just show you a little. I'm gonna like do an AR thing. I'm gonna show you a couple of little vibes, but I'm not gonna play the whole song. That's here's, fine. A vibe, here's a vibe about a song called 
Remember the song by that was done by George Michaels and Wham called Careless Whisper? Of course. 1983. Okay, so I did Careless Whisper as a uh I did it in Spanish, but I changed something around. So let me see. So from this same track, it goes like this. I would sing it in Spanish. Can you hear the track? I can hear you good. Okay, so that's how. Okay. That's how that went. That's dope. That's dope. So, but I changed it. And okay. I try to let other people take some yeah. examples from what I'm doing. And you can okay. change it. I wrote a whole other song using the same music. Let's go. A different melody. And I call this song Careless because that's what it takes to be. Add value to your relationship. This is our album called Love Notes. Baby, fly away with me to Rio. Making love across the sky a mile high. Open up the door and all the windows. Everyone can hear the sound of magic from you and I. Baby, help me light a hundred candles. Illuminating all your style and sexy smile. Playing only grown and sexy music to get us in the mood. And taking a driving movie to make out the way we Appreciate it, man. Hey, brother, I'm, I'm really looking forward to what you got uh, in store, man, in 2021. It looked like you ain't you haven't missed a beat. You know, what 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 inspires you to keep giving us this great music, brother? Like, here we are, man. We 40 plus years and you 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 haven't missed a beat. Where does the inspiration come from? You know, 
in 2020? It comes from God. I mean, I'm not even, I can't claim it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've wanted to, I guess I can't say I've wanted to quit, but sometimes you say, uh, it ain't even gonna matter. It ain't, I do it because of what came to me when I told you I was seven years old. I didn't do this to get chicks or get money or fame or claim right. or whatever. That wasn't my purpose of it. It still is not. Uh, I do it because I want to leave something in humanity, no some kind of a trail that I was here. And when I'm done and you're done, maybe it'll continue to play like the Nat King Cole records. And maybe it'll be a source of inspiration or save somebody's life or give them motivation to continue on because they, man, did you, are you hip to this guy? You know, so yeah. I got to leave them something. So that's why I'm doing it. That's what gives me the motivation and to keep doing it. So once I finish one thing, I just go on to the next one. On to the next. I hear that. I know that's right, brother. Well, look, um, what's some of the best advice you've been given since you've been in the music industry? You know, whether it's from, you know, uh, family member, uh, personal relationship, uh, music industry advice, you know, what's some of the best advice that you've been given in the music I industry? I think I've given you some of that, the three C's, um, also the, um, you know, less is best. I, I mentioned to you about our, our orator, Barack Obama, who was a great orator. And so I put it like this. Everybody sits on the edge of their seat to hear Obama talk. Why? It's just like they sit on the edge of their seat to listen to a certain singer or someone right. because they play the space in between the words. Obama will say, I want to tell you that one day when we get to this point, yeah. Yeah. we're going to have time to make a change for everything. Now he's putting those place spaces in there which made you go, to wait for the next note. Right. The next word. Well, songs should be like that. And communication on stage should be like that. Nobody wants to talk to everybody that talks all the time, keeps going, don't put any airspace in between there, just talking to the priest. You just start drawing them out. You don't even want to listen to anything you're saying. You're just right. going to, you don't breathe, don't let you talk, don't listen to them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you say something, that's like, a, a baby, find a way with me to be young. Stop. Making love across, across the sky a mile high. Now you're going to wait till the next thing. Open up the doors and all the windows. So make things with space. Yeah, That would be yeah. one of the biggest things I would tell them. Space what you're saying so that yeah. what next is, has more value. Mm, mm. That's dope. So, so brother, Mr. Mister Mr. Martin, um, your career has spanned, like I said, so many years. I always wanted to ask you, what are some of your favorite songs to perform? You know, um, with, with, you know, as far as the Daz Band and, you know, as far as your, you know, your solo career. But could you start off with the Daz Band? Because that's, you know, that's where we originally know you from. Oh, well, I love Knock Knock, Heartbeat, Gamble, uh, Let It Whip, Swoop. I love playing I'm Yours, you know, Swoop. Um, those are some of my favorites to perform. Yeah. Um, with Cool and the Gang, I perform all of the songs. So I sang Ladies Night, Get Down on It. Celebration, Fresh, uh, Summer Madness, Joanna, uh, you know, the, it just goes on in Hollywood Swinging, Fresh, you know, I did all these different songs with them, Cherish, I sang Cherish a lot, I enjoyed yeah. that. 
And um, but I appreciate that to be able to do that. But I'm I really get a lot of uh, satisfaction doing, um, you know, where I, I intertwine classic stuff with old school stuff, the trumpet stuff. Right. I really love my trumpet things. What we're doing. Uh, okay. You know, okay. I love that kind of vibe. But uh, the new music coming—it's uh, got a nice vibe to it. It's kind of like this, give you a little vibe. Just a little like that beat, man. This is called "You Already Know." That's dope. Hey, that's the best one you played right there. I like all the other ones were dope. The other ones were dope, but that one right there, man. I think, I think, you know, I think the young people go like that one right there, oh, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm really digging deep into this. This whole with the young people and what I'm doing with this sound with Miss Miles. This is vibe. This is called um, sexy and sassy. Featuring March, Marlon McLean, and Atashi from Tokyo. That's a lot of That one gonna be out of here, man. I'm gonna need it. I'm, <laughs> hey, I'm gonna need a link. Hey, Mr. Martin. Hey, you gotta slime me. Hey, slime me a little, a little sample of that, man. So I can, I can, I, 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 I gotta get it. I gotta get a little. I gotta get the heads up on that one right there, brother. Cause I, I'm loving what I'm hearing, man. Oh man, it's gonna be great, and it's really killing oh, me. Oh, couple of MP3s in my email, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna purchase it, man. Hey, I'm, I'm definitely mm -hmm. gonna purchase, but I, I need that. Now I need okay. that. 
<laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to 2020. I need some of that now. That's yeah. that's my vibe right there. Thank you so much. The vibe is hot. I mean, I just keep doing it. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. I make yeah. shit. I got black. Man, you on fire I'm now. Ready to go. I, mean, I got to give you this one. This is called Jazzy Rhythm. I go like this. We move it back like the James and Rico. We be setting records with organic needle. Pump it up, pump it up. What you want, we got. We gon' set the records for the major bodies. Exclusive, another great performance, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you Words for having me. Explain. Words cannot explain this moment for me. Again, you know, the culture is definitely going to appreciate this, brother. Thank you so much. Listen, the party continues, but first we'd like to bring on our special guests, guys who just recently won themselves a Grammy for this particular song. Motown recording artist, and let's welcome the Daz Band. Yeah. 